to the Red Dog Road Podcast, a program for people seeking a deeper perspective on the outdoors, sports, and personal performance. And now, here is your host, Nick Pinizzato. Hello, friends, and thank you for listening to the Red Dog Road Podcast. This is episode three, and in this episode, I'll be talking with my friend Muley Mad Howe about capturing special moments in the field. And since we last talked, I've been to the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo, which is held in Salt Lake City, and that's where I was able to get the interview with Matt. Uh, But that's one of my favorite shows. I'm a person that likes to hunt in the West, but I grew up in the East and live in the Midwest now. And going out there really puts you right in front of Western hunters, Western equipment providers, outfitters, basically people who live and provide products and expertise in that part of the world. And that's something that's just really hard to come by if you don't live out there. So I really enjoy that show. I also get to spend a lot of time with uh, my friends and colleagues that are part of the Mule Deer Working Group uh, through my job at the National Deer Alliance. We focus on all deer species, so uh, obviously a great opportunity to interface with the Mule Deer guys there. And also just a lot of friends that I have in the industry that are out there. And it's a little bit more of a laid-back show. It's not like the ATA trade show or SHOT show, which is just sort of this wild ride from start to finish. Uh, a little more laid back and an opportunity to just hang out and have some good conversations with folks. And I also had the opportunity on the welcome back night, I guess that would have been Thursday night, to address about 1,500 people in the room. And my focus was on chronic wasting disease and how this is something that's not going to go away. We need to acknowledge it. We need to own it as hunters. And we need to expect that we're going to be the ones to have to deal with the problem because as hunters, we've always been the true conservationist, and I think we just have to have that expectation of ourselves. So I'm not going to rehash that entire talk here, but that was the focus of it. And then the other cool thing about that event is there is just a ton of money raised for conservation. Now, some of the tags went for more than $300,000, so I know that probably will catch you off guard, maybe take your breath away for a second. Um, But the reality is, you know, obviously no tag is really worth that kind of money, I don't think, uh, at least not to me. But the majority of that money is going back to conservation. So it's nice that people have the means to purchase those tags for broader conservation that provide opportunities for a lot more people than just the people that go on those hunts. So the people that buy those hunts, and and by the way, this event raised millions and millions of dollars. Um, The people that buy those hunts, they do so knowing that really it's a conservation contribution and we thank them for that. So sometimes you see some of the headlines and people just shake their head and say, well, who would pay that much to hunt any animal? And I get that, but it's really a bigger picture thing. So uh, looking forward to seeing what the final numbers are on that. Now, I did not participate in any auctions. That's not an auction I've ever been able to play in. Uh, but I did jump into the sheep raffle through a group that's called the Full Curl Society, and they give away 10 really hard to get sheep hunts each year and you can buy some raffle tickets for your chance to get drawn for one of those and I've never been drawn and I'm not even really a sheep hunter I've never hunted sheep it's not something to be honest that I spend a lot of time dreaming about but the hunts are so rare and I figure that'd be my best chance to ever get a sheep hunt and so for I think I spent a little under 200 dollars to throw my hat in the ring for the hunts and I didn't get drawn but it's it's really an amazing thing to see because the people that do get drawn they literally break down in tears and it's that big of a deal. So at any rate, it wasn't my time this year. Maybe next year we'll see. And then one other cool thing that happened out there was that uh, the Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke, was there. And he signed Secretarial Order 3362, which will improve habitat quality 
and western big game winter range area and migration corridors for antelope, elk, and mule deer. Uh, people that live in the eastern part of the country don't maybe understand how important these corridors are to mule deer. It's not like a white-tailed deer, for example, where it pretty much lives in, in one general area, maybe a few square miles um, of, of an area that it lives in where a mule deer might have a home range of that during certain seasons, but they have to migrate in the winter to get to good wintering areas, and sometimes these stretch over miles and miles, so disrupting those corridors is a pretty big impact on them and, and other animals that migrate. So this is an important order to make sure we keep those areas intact for sure. And then the event just concluded with a concert from Sarah Evans, uh, the country music singer. And for me, having a 14, 15 month old at home, I'm a person that's usually in bed by nine o'clock, at least 10 o'clock each night, each night. So I did not catch, get to catch the Sarah Evans concert because it was my bedtime. So sad, but true. I'm getting older and there's nothing I can do to stop that. So uh, with that, though, I want to talk about the thought of the week. And my thought of the week this week is really focused on the value of outdoors experiences. And I can tell you that I'm always, when I go to these shows, one of the benefits is I always get an opportunity to, or a chance to look for good opportunities that might be affordable and some things that I can't do back home. And uh, this event is is no exception to that. So I walked around the floor and was looking and looking at different outfitters and talking with some folks and trying to get a feel for what was available. And one of the things that's really struck me over the last few years is just the cost of these hunts and especially hunts with outfitters. And it really doesn't matter the species, but they're costing several thousand dollars. So even if you want to go hunt a turkey in Texas, for example, and you want to do it with an outfitter, it's going to cost you probably a minimum of 1500 but probably $2,000 just to hunt a turkey. And you want to start talking about big game deer and elk and some other things, and it just gets really, really expensive. And it makes me just wonder, are the cost of these hunts or these experience with outfitters being several thousands of dollars a week, are we pricing these experiences out of reach of most people? And I know the argument against that is, well, you can still go do it yourself. And I understand that to a point, but not everybody's capable or equipped to go out and do the research that's necessary to be able to go do those things. And so they'll never get this experience likely in their lifetime to be able to do these things. And I also understand that outfitters need to make money as well. And they're only pricing things based off of the cost that they have involved in these hunts. So I'm not sure what the answer is, but it's something that really stood out to me. And I'm, I generally am a pretty frugal person. And uh, so therefore what happens a lot of times is I just, I have to remind myself that uh, I can be just as happy going out and plinking squirrels or hunting game around where I live is, is any memories I've ever made on a, on a bigger hunt that I paid for that might've involved an outfitter. And I've had some great experiences, but I think that's the one thing that I try to keep in mind. And I would ask you to keep in mind as you're out looking for opportunities, this is the time of year of trade shows and talking with outfitters and looking at what might be possible. Be focused on what's going to give you the best experience. And if that means, you know, if you've saved up thousands of dollars to be able to do this, great. And I, th I think that's great. You should do it for sure. Maybe it's a once in a lifetime thing. But also remember that there are a ton of memories to be made right in your own backyard and to take advantage of those. And as again, as you hear me say often, the real value is the memory and that experience in your life. But to each, you know, to each his or her own. Uh, obviously, there people can't afford those opportunities. And that's why those outfitters are in business. And that's why the cost of tags are the way they are because people can do them. But like I said, I just, I do wonder sometimes if we're pricing it out of range for most people. And that makes me uh, a little bit sad, frankly, because uh, I want people to be out there and enjoying the outdoors and conservation and having those, those great experiences. So I'm not sure what the answer is on that. 
Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and jump to this week's interview. And I was able to catch up with Matt Howell, as I said at the outset of the show, uh, at, at the Western Hunting Expo. And Matt and I first met there about three years ago. And then I began following him on Instagram and quickly caught on to just what a phenom this guy is in terms of his social media prowess and the images he shares on his Instagram account, primarily a mule deer, but some other things. And he just has some great photos and a great following. And on top of that, he's a super nice guy. He gave me a bunch of photos for free of mule deer for the National Deer Alliance when we got that started. And many of the images that we share and use when we put our information out are photos from Matt Howe. And he talks about in this interview about capturing special moments and why he shares most of them for free, which I thought was really cool. And I want you to pay special attention to what he says about experiences and why it's important to be yourself and not get caught up in this celebrity craze that's out there. You see a lot of people, you wonder if they really even are outdoors people. Are they trying to uh, portray some image of something that they're really not? And I think he has some really interesting things to say about that. And we also talk a little bit about presenting yourself in kill photos, or some people call them hero shots, and some important things to think about there, which I thought was good. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the interview, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt as much as I did. Well, Matt, it's good to see you again, and I appreciate you jumping on last second here to the Red Dog Road podcast. You probably haven't listened to any episodes yet, because it's only, this will be I think the fourth one. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't listened yet, but I'm looking forward to it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, and you might hear some noise in the background, folks. We're at the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo here in Salt Lake City, and we did our best to find a quiet corner, and uh, this isn't too bad. So I think think people should be able to hear us, and we can make this work. So I just came out of a really good seminar that Matt did, and Matt goes by the moniker Muley Matt. And I think how I first met you, Matt, was on social media. I saw some of your images. And then uh, ran into you here at the show. I would say it's probably three years ago now. Right. And yeah. continued to follow you. But we just walked out of your seminar where you were talking about uh, all the cool things you can do with your cell phone, essentially your smartphone and digiscoping. And it was really well received by the audience. People seemed to really enjoy it. They had a lot of good questions. And I want to get into that with you a little bit. But first, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you came into being into the outdoors like you are and then into the photography sure i um i grew up in southwest colorado the mountains of southwest colorado and i from a as long as i can remember i've had a passion for the outdoors love to fish love to hike love to camp love to hunt uh thankfully i had a, a father who uh was also passionate about the outdoors and raised me um taught me morals and ethics um but yeah just from a young age i always wanted to be in the outdoors but to add on to that, as I got a little older, I wanted to share that experience with other people. And it was really tough to do that when I was younger. But in the last five, six years, not only with the digital age and social media, but also with the phones that we have and their capabilities of taking pictures and videos, uh, it's a lot easier to bring the, those experiences, um, not only through words, but through pictures and videos um, to other people. So. Um, that's kind of my passion is, is sharing the outdoors with other people. Um, and I, I also have a huge passion for conservation and, and making sure that, th- that our experiences are available to our next generation and the generation after that. So, Yeah, when I ran into you in the, on the show floor earlier this morning, you talked about your role with your local SCI, Safari Club International chapter. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm president of the uh, Four Corners chapter of SCI. And uh, I got involved about three years ago. 
had no clue what I was stepping into, didn't even really understand what Safari Club was. Um, when you hear the word Safari Club, you kind of think that it's uh, African Safari, and, and that's not something I've ever done. It may not be something I ever get to do. And so when I would hear Safari Club, I would just kind of be like, well, that's not for me. Um, I got talked into going to a meeting because they were going to give me free food and we could tell hunting stories. Uh, showed up to the meeting. They essentially said, hey, guess what? You're a board member because we're short. Uh, next meeting I went to, um, they also kind of threw me in as vice president because it, that position was open. So um, it was kind of a tr just immediately thrown into the fire. But one of the things that impresses me with um, Safari Club is that the local chapters in their fundraising, in their largest fundraiser of the year, they send 30% of that money back to national, but the other 70% of that money, plus any money that they raise in their uh, smaller fundraisers throughout the year, stay locally with the chapter um, to use in any form or shape or fashion that they choose. Um, we do a ton of stuff with youth, a ton of stuff with first time hunters, and then also a lot of education. So. Yeah, we talked earlier about just how few people get involved with conservation organizations in there. They lured you in with food. Right, And exactly. then the next thing you know, you're the vice president of the chapter and, and been doing that for quite a while now, which is certainly a cool thing. And I want to get into really what your seminar was about and how I came to know you, and that is through the images. Right. And I remember seeing, I just asked myself, how is this guy getting all these cool mule deer pictures, which primarily is what you were taking photos of. So just take us through that a little bit, how you went from wow, it'd be cool to just grab a few photos to now you're into this really ultimate level of digiscoping to a level that I don't see anyone else doing it, frankly. Right. So, you know, PhoneScope was a game changer. And when they came out with their products so that you could attach your phone to an optic and have, uh, in essence, a zoom lens for your phone, it, it completely changed the way that I took pictures. Um, I used to hold my phone up to my binos and to my spotter to try to get pictures and 95% of those pictures were blurry. The minute I put a phone scope on and stuck it on my spotting scope, I went from having 5% good pictures to probably 75% of my pictures were quality pictures. It did take some time to learn the ins and outs. Um, I've been doing it about five years now. and. You know, the biggest thing for me is you got to, even though you've got a zoom lens, you still have to be within a certain yardage to get, you know, a good quality, clear picture. Um, but spending time is the biggest thing. If you're out there in the woods, you learn the animals, you know their habits, you know where they're going to be, you know what they're going to do next, and you can set up and be prepared to get that picture when, when the animal, you know, comes through. Um, I've just through taking pictures, I've learned so much that I never picked up in my many years of hunting. Um, one of the things, usually when a buck is about to lip curl, um, which is a great time to take a picture, they will um, do a little wrinkle with their nose and they'll lick their lips. And so when you see that, you know, okay, I got to get ready because I'm going to get some cool pictures. Um, and so being able to look at those things um, and, and learn those things, what I've learned about deer and their movements and their habits and their and just what they love and what they dislike has been amazing through my pictures. Um, things that I never would have learned if I was if I was just strictly hunting deer. Yeah, that's something you probably didn't anticipate when you first got involved with it, which is a cool thing. And I want to I want to come back to the images in a second. But one of the things that struck me, and I've, I've noticed this before, you said it in your seminar, but you always have your phone scope adapter on your phones. And when you and I had talked in the past, I remembered you saying that you're just ready at a moment's notice. So you could be driving down the road. One of the pictures in your seminar, you said you have a 65 miles per hour down the road. Right. Um, hopefully you weren't driving and taking the picture at the same time. I won't ask you those details. But 
I, I, what you said struck me was that you have to always be prepared, and it seems like you are. You can instantly, within just a few moments, get, get set up to get a good picture. I do. If there's opportunity for a picture to take place, if I'm on a trip, um, I drove out to Vegas last week for SCI Nationals or Internationals out there, and I threw my spotter in the truck because you never know. And it's also, I'm, I'm a lot more aware of what's going on around me. I notice, you know, um, red-tailed hawks when they're sitting on a tree, you know, is that a cool thing? And just things that I wouldn't notice in the past that make just amazing pictures. And my eye for the outdoors and for wildlife has changed. There's a greater appreciation for the beauty that I see. And, and it's just, I've kind of changed my perception to where when I see something, I think, okay, what would that look like in on my phone and can I share it with other people? And so I am ready at a moment's notice. I have my cases on my phone all the time and almost everywhere I go, I got binos or a spotter with me so I can, so I can snap some pictures. But Well, that makes me think of how many times I've seen things where I said, man, I wish I had a camera for that. Right. And you talked about sharing your images with other people. Now you shared with me a bunch of images when we were starting the National Deer Alliance and we still use many of those images. I'm sure when you see our posts, sometimes you say, oh, that's one of my pictures, which is a cool thing. And you didn't ask for anything in return. And you also put really it seems like just about all of your images show up on your social media and at the end of the show here we'll talk about where people can find you on your instagram in particular so i think it's a really cool thing that you don't just take these pictures and you've sold some pictures and i know you're doing some really cool things now with printing these photos on metal right. which is a really cool thing and uh, maybe when we get the show posted we can get the links where people can find those and see some images of those because i've been impressed by them for the most part you're putting out images that anybody can see and have an appreciation for primarily Western game where you live. So why do you do that? Why do you care to, to give that part of your, your skill back to everybody? Well, you know, for me, again, I love sharing what I experience and I don't feel it's appropriate for me to charge for that experience. Now, if somebody wants to use my pictures, um, if they want to give me credit for it, great. I appreciate it. Um, and there are, there are some instances where I have sold some pictures, but for the most part, especially if it's an organization that's giving back to conservation um, or a nonprofit, then I, I like to work with, with those organizations and be able to help them out. Um, you know, there are some for-profit organizations that have purchased some of my pictures. Um, I just think that, that people, though, should be able to see those things, and I want to share um, with other people. I want to encourage people to get out to make their own experiences because no matter how many pictures I share, no matter how cool or amazing they are, they can't replace the feelings you have when you see that firsthand. So my ultimate goal is to encourage people to get out there and do it themselves, to have those experiences, to take those pictures and to be able to share that with someone else. Yeah, and I love that you said it that way because to me, hunting in the outdoors is always about those images. And I, I feel like we have these special images in our head that translate the different experiences we had out there so when we're younger we have certain images that resonate with us maybe it was a, a bluegill on the end of a fishing rod uh, maybe it was your dad bringing home a, a, the first deer you ever really got to see and understand what it was yeah. you know um, and then as you get older there are other things maybe things you experience with your your father or with your own children and so this seminar that you gave today I think was really great because what you you shared with people something that anybody can do and that is with their smartphone and we all have cameras with us all the time now you can capture these images and then it'll help you relive those moments later. So um, it struck me that you said you can go and be a professional, but I like to do it this way. And talk about what you said about you don't you don't go back and do a bunch of fancy editing on your computer. You do most of it right on, on your phone. Right. I, I do all my editing on my phone. Um, 
and when I do edit a picture, a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm cropping it out, but I'm trying to edit it back to what the natural eye sees because it doesn't matter how good of a camera you have, it's not exactly what you saw in that moment. And again, I'm trying to share my experience and what I saw, what I felt in that moment. So when I edit my pictures, if I change the contrast or the exposure, it's because that's what my eye saw at the time and I want to relay that back and let other people see those, those images. Um, there are a bunch of apps on computers where you can completely alter an image to make it, you know, nothing like what it is. And that in and of itself is an artwork and, a, and a, an art form. Um, but for me, I'm just more about trying to uh, get those pictures out there exactly as they looked in my eye when I took the picture. You know, I, I appreciate that too, because I know in the photography I do, and I take everything back in and process it later than my favorite pictures. Um, it's so tempting to make it even grander than what you saw. So I appreciate what you said that you try to make it, especially because smartphones, they do a great job nowadays, but they're still, they're not a, a, a DSLR, for example. Right. Um, but I appreciate that you take it back to what you saw as opposed to try and make it something something that it wasn't. Right. And that's, for me, it, it goes back to me reliving that experience. Like you said, looking at those pictures, um, I have some great sunset pictures of my son from this past year and his hunt. And it just was an awesome evening. And every time I see that picture, it just brings up not only that moment in time, but the entire evening, you know, the smells, the, the even the temperature. It was after one of his uh, high school football games. So he still had face paint on from the football game. And I just those memories, you know, are amazing, you know, just to come back and to relive them and share them. And, and if I didn't have that picture to look at or if I embellish that picture, I don't think it'd be the same thing. So would you, as a general rule of thumb, would you encourage people to just be snapping pictures the whole time they're out there? I mean, because there's this balance between you want to see it and live it, but you also want to get some pictures. Just right. your thoughts on that. I, I will. I do encourage people to do that, but I, in a certain setting. So I encourage people if they're going to start taking pictures and they don't feel like they have an eye for pictures, I tell them to take a summer trip. So it's not during a hunting trip. It's not during, you know, something that if they don't catch, you know, a moment, they'll be upset about. But I encourage them to go out, you know, like a camping trip or even a, even a hike and just snap a ton of pictures, different angles of the same subjects, just so they can see what things look like on their camera. And they can go back and go, okay, I remember when I got on that angle, it actually made that look more realistic. Um, we talked a little bit in the seminar about um, angles being down below something will make it look bigger. You're above it. It makes it look smaller on the same level. It's, it's pretty close to what your eye saw. Um, and so playing with that, playing with angles and heights and, and colors and exposure even in the field, um, I think you'll learn a lot to where as you move on with your photography career or with your outdoor career or just with your life, you're able to take less time looking through a camera lens, but you recognize a situation where you're like, you know what, I need to capture this moment. So that's experience then, really. You, I think what you're saying is snap a lot of pictures, and then over time you'll start to get this feel for what you really want to get. Exactly. And I would agree with that just as, a, I guess, an aspiring photographer myself. Um, I don't take as many general photos as I may have in the past because I feel like, well, that's that's not the memorable moment. So you'll right. start to recognize. And the one, the story you just told about your son after the football game, to me, you may not realize it at the time, but someday he's probably going to look at that picture and he's going to remember being in that specific moment at that time. So I think that's a great example of what you just said. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I um, that's a big thing for me is my, my children, my boys. I want to pass on those memories to them. And photos are probably the best way to do it. Um, Obviously, if you've got a high-end production video, <laughs> it's a great a great way to do it. But 
for me, I'm just an average Joe and I want all the other average Joes out there to be able to, you know, come home with that, with those pitchers and share them and pass them down the generations and, and just, you know, keep the legacy alive. So that brings me to my next question. And this is, I don't want to, controversial is not the right word, but we see so much in the outdoors industry of people portraying either themselves or these uh, places or maybe it's just embellishing like a, a trophy shot or something to be something that it's not. Um, or a lot of times with people, they're pushing a product or they're just your feelings. On it. Do you think that we're, uh, our industry is guilty in a lot of times of going sort of over the top and losing the authenticity of what the average person sees out there? Um, I think so. And, you know, it's an unfortunate thing, but everybody wants the excitement. Everybody wants the, for lack of a better word, glory. Um, and I, I see people not only getting to the point where their experiences are unrealistic, but also getting to the point where um, they're maybe bending rules and breaking laws that in the past they wouldn't, but they're trying to, you know, show something that isn't real. And, and it's unfortunate. I would encourage people just to take their own experience and enjoy that the fact that they're having the experience and not try to live up to other people's expectations and you know in this world of social media you know it's a huge issue it's a huge you know to me it's something that I don't know that we're ever going to be able to change human nature you know people want to be popular they want their stuff out there they want you know to be recognized and I think a lot of people lose sight of where they started and I think if you can stay true to that, if you can stay true to yourself and just kind of remember where you came from, that that no matter where you go, you're going to you're going to do well. So I just, you know, I, yeah, stay true to yourself. And, and I don't know, it's it's a big deal. It is. And our industry has gotten a black eye, I think, from it over the last couple of years. And and I hope that, you know, we can stop the division and come together and and, you know, just recognize that for each of us. We're on a different, we're on a different path of the same journey, and our experiences are going to be different, and each of us are going to be at a different spot in that journey, and so I think you just celebrate everyone's experiences as they as they experience them, and not worry about trying to live up to other people. So yeah, that's not a big not thing. try to be somebody else, right? right. Just stay true to who you are, and I think a few things that you said earlier in our conversation uh, point to what you just said. I mean, one of the first things you said was, "Hey, I'm just an average Joe." I want to share my images because I want people to see them, but I also want people to take their own images because that would be their experience. And I think what you just said there rings true. And I wonder a lot of times when I see the, the, the posed selfies and all these goofy things that we see in our industry and a lot of these people I question, even if they're really outdoors people, right. what is that experience for them? To me, it's more of a photo shoot than it is taking in the experience. And I, I agree with you. I think it has been a bit of a black eye. And it also makes other people who might be new to the outdoors say, well, I guess I have to look like that. Uh, to, to do this and I, and I would say it's the actual opposite of that and it's what you said stay true to who you are I remember back in the days I still have these super fond memories of the film cameras right and I know when I was a kid uh, I had caught these uh, two trout in a tiny little stream behind my grandmother's place and got them home and it was a big deal because there weren't even supposed to be trout in this stream I was trying to catch a creek chop basically <laughs> and so you go home and you're, me and my brother are standing there my mother takes a picture well then of course it's on film so it might be two holidays pass by before you get that film developed and we get the pictures back and there's my mother's thumb right over my oh. face and my brother's sitting there smiling right? right but to me that's not a failed photo 
because that's now it's to me it's almost a double experience because number one hey remember when i caught those trout but number two and then mom stuck her thumb over the picture right. so there's some authenticity too in a, in a picture that's just not perfectly posed um, and i think that you capture a lot of that in your images and i think that people nowadays they're so worried about making everything so perfect where sometimes i just like to see a picture of a guy that clearly got his deer into a garage and hey let's snap a couple pictures because that brings back a lot of memories for me before we did all the things we do now right and that's that's very true and again that goes back to just you know being yourself and and celebrating your own experiences so and that's something like for you you celebrated the the fact that you brought those deer back to the garage that's where we took the pictures that's where everybody came over to look at the deer tell you congratulations and that's where you began the process of for most people began the process of you know harvesting the meat you know taking the meat off the animal and and to me that's another big you know part of it part of part of the reason that we do hunt but um yeah i agree with you i think it's i think it's okay to have flaws in your picture so on to that end then one more thing i want to ask you here before i let you go is you talked some in your seminar about taking a few minutes to clean up the animal and so I see a different camps in our universe, right? So me personally, I spend an awful lot of time making that animal look respectable. Um, if, you, if you shoot a deer in the lungs with an arrow, it's gonna bleed from its mouth and its nose. It takes some time. I personally, if I'm gonna share that image, I wanna make that animal look as good as possible. We've got another camp that says, I didn't do anything wrong and I can do what I want. Right. Um, do we ha- should we share all of our images or should we be cognizant and take a little time and think about someone who may not be a hunter or not understand what we do how they may feel when they see that image what are your thoughts on that well i can only tell you my feelings on what i can do you know other people are going to do what they want to do whether i think it's right or not um for me i uh i want to bring new people into the outdoors and if i'm posting a bloody gory picture you know that may represent part of the experience I might be pushing them away before they have a chance to actually experience it or before they have a chance to even look into it. Um, there is so much out there. There's so much ammo that anti-hunters and, and people who are just wanting to take away our freedoms that they have that we, in my opinion, we don't need to give them more ammunition. Um, I do have pictures of you know cleaning animals that I keep, and they stay in my photo book, so they stay on my computer, but they don't go out to the general public. Um, I try to give the animal and show the animal as much respect as possible in the pictures that I post. Um, and like I said in the seminar, I look back at some of those pictures, and unfortunately it was pre-digital age where you couldn't look at the picture. Right. But, you know, there's a picture in particular of a great buck that I had that my dad took a bunch of pictures of, and every picture except one, the tongue is hanging out on the deer, and I never even knew it. You know, and, and now that we have the digital age, I think snap a picture look at it okay i need to clean that up and there's a little bit of blood here or whatever and you can clean it up and and still represent the animal in a you know in a respectful way yeah i think the general rule of thumb is we can do better now so let's do better and i always tell people it's a double-edged sword you can have it you can shoot an animal have a picture and have it on social media within minutes my advice generally to people is take a few moments enjoy the moment and then think about what you're going to post because i see a lot of people sometimes put things out and then they end up retracting it and um so yeah i think i think your advice is right you have some images you probably keep to yourself and then the other ones think about everybody else when you put them out there before you do it well and i would i guess i would throw a question out to you if you were looking at putting a picture out immediately after you shot an animal are you doing that because you have your experience are you doing that so other people can be proud of you or or give you a high five or lift you up 
to me, if I'm going to post immediately, I'm doing that so other people can see it. You know, for me, if I post a, that there's an animal down or I've shot an animal, there's the end has already taken place. I've already lived that experience. So if I post it, it may be three or four hours later. And I might give a little tease that, hey, look, at here's an arrow that's got some blood on it. Um, more pictures to come, you know. But I think that for me, I've got to get through that experience first. I can document it. But before I share it, I want that experience kind of completed. Yeah, I'm smiling. People can't, obviously, you can't see this if you're listening, but I'm smiling as Matt says that because I also love when people, and, and I do this myself, I might take a little picture of the base of the antler and say, you know, success tonight, more to come later. Right. And I love that um, because it gives you time, like you said, to experience that moment. Take care of the animal first and foremost. You may be taking some other photos. I got to get the animal out of the woods, out of the field, whatever. Um, but the tee shot, I always like for sure, and it does give you time to reflect on it. So, yeah. hey, I appreciate your time. No I know problem, you're busy Nick. here on the on the show floor. It's good to catch up with you, even though I only see you like once a year. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to see you, and it's great to follow you on social media. So I want other people to see what you're doing, too. So tell everybody where they can find your stuff. The the best place and easiest place to find me is on Instagram. Uh, it's Muley Matt. Um, it's M-U-L-E-Y-M-A-T-T. So it's kind of like Mule Deer, but Muley Matt. Um, I also have the MuleDeerHunter.com. Um, and that's also on Facebook and as well as uh, IG platform. But those are the easiest ways to find me. Um, any questions, message me. I'm usually really good at getting back to people. Um, and I love the interaction. So, and, and do it, folks. Believe me, it's one of my favorite follows for sure on Instagram. You're <laughs> going to see some great photos. So, uh, again, appreciate it. Thank no you. And thank you. I'm sure I'll see you out on the floor a little bit more here All yet right, this good week. Luck to you. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Matt as much as I did. There was just some great pointers in there on capturing moments, but more than anything, the importance of making those memories. And I just thought it was a really, really fun conversation for sure. Uh, this is the week ahead. I'm getting caught up from my trip to Salt Lake City, but I also hope to slip out and maybe call some coyotes at some point. This is the breeding season for coyotes, and they tend to be a little more active. I had some success last year and got a a really nice dog. At, uh, it was about mid-February, about this time of year, so I'm hoping to go out and repeat that. I'll give that a shot. Uh, we got a warm front coming through in this area, though, with a lot of rain. It's going to be up to 60 degrees at least the next two days and going to be sloppy, muddy, and not going to be the best time to be out there. I like it when it's pretty pretty brisk and cold around that freezing mark or even colder. And if for no other reason, just then I don't feel like getting filthy muddy out there and it's just a sloppy time of year. So uh, the other thing I'll say is it's Valentine's Day. Uh, make sure you do right by your significant other. And remember, uh, the rut is only nine months away. So you might want to just take that into consideration with your plans for the, the special day this week. And I make a joke about that. And I made a joke about that a couple years ago. And I thought it was funny. And now uh, I just want to point out that I have a son whose birthday happens to be on November 19th. So this is a very serious matter here. This is, a, this is no joking matter. Um, at any rate, uh, again, I want to thank you for listening. And I hope... You'll join me next time on the Red Dog Road podcast, and I hope you have a great rest of the week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Red Dog Road podcast. If you like what you heard here, please consider subscribing and telling your friends. You can also visit the website and blog at reddogroad.net.